So over the last month or so, uh, God's been stirring my heart, and, and it really, I think, uh, the word that came this morning, and, and a bunch of things have been just, you know how you get confirmation, you, you just things keep coming, keep coming. Just this idea that we really do need to extend the love of God, extend the kingdom of God, love our community, and, and be uh, be light and be salt and, and go out and just share who Jesus is with people around us. I want to continue talking about that today. We've been looking at different aspects of that for about a month. This morning, um, a little bit of a different angle, a little different approach, but kind of the same topic. Uh, I'll just hear my title this morning is You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And I don't know if he knows what he knows or he doesn't know what he doesn't know, but. Uh, you'll understand that a little later, but let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, dive in. Father, thanks for your word. Um, so rich. It's so wonderful, Lord, to, uh, to really just receive from you. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word this morning, that you would touch us with who you are and what you have, the purpose, the destiny, the calling on our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. A uh, short little passage today, book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13 basically just three verses, and if you have an analog Bible, you can open to Matthew 13. Otherwise, you're welcome to read along with me. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So those those three short verses there actually form uh, two of Jesus' parables of the kingdom. Before we get into the text itself, I just want to give you a little kind of commentary on reading parables. Sometimes uh, there's a tendency to kind of pick everything apart and sort of scrutinize every detail and try to, uh, you know, maybe make metaphors out of things and say this is that or this means that or these, all these deep hidden meetings. And, and basically, uh, in parables, you know, we used to say the main things are the plain things. And really what it says is what it says. Um, I, I think Jesus had two things in mind when he was teaching in parables uh, the first is, is really just to communicate a simple truth. In, in Gordon Fee's book, uh, Reading the Bible for All It's Worth, his title of the chapter on parables is, Do You Get the Point? And the point is the point. So usually what the parable is saying is pretty evident, and, in, and that's the truth that Jesus wants to communicate. So just an encouragement not to be worried about every detail and searching for hidden meanings and things like that. It, it really is what it says And that's what it is. The second thing about parables is this, and this is probably more important, and that is that they elicit a response. When that simple truth is given forth, I think there is a crisis of decision in the hearts of the hearer. You basically are left with, what am I going to do with what I've been told? I think Jesus wants us to make a decision based on what he said. He gives us the truth, and now he's asking us to consider that truth and come to a conclusion, what am I going to do with this truth now that I know it? Once you know the truth, you really do have a responsibility then to deal with it. Uh, One more sort of parenthetical comment here. Uh, Matthew uses the phrase, kingdom of heaven. We talk a lot about the kingdom of God and not as much about the kingdom of heaven 
And I just wanted to mention this, that uh, Matthew has a purpose in that. His gospel is written primarily to a Jewish audience, and they had a sort of, uh, it was very holy to, almost beyond, you're not supposed to speak the name of God. It was so reverent, so holy that they didn't say the name of God. And so he changes kingdom of God for kingdom of heaven here. He's just being culturally sensitive, really, as much as anything else. But those two phrases mean exactly the same thing. So don't get caught up in that. So what's the point? What, what is the point of these two parables? I think it's pretty obvious. The kingdom of God is so precious, it's so valuable, that when you find it, when you encounter it, it's worth giving up everything to gain. It is of inestimable value. The kingdom of God is, is so precious that nothing should keep us from wanting to acquire that in our lives. Uh, the, the, when you grasp that truth, when you get a hold of that, the, the beauty of it and the value of it, it becomes so real that, that you really do come to that place where you begin to pursue it with all your heart. You go, I, I've got to have that. I, I can't not have that. It's, it's so profound. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and everything else will be added to you. And the reality is this, the kingdom of God really is that doorway into all the blessing of God. And I, and I think that's, again, kind of the word this morning, what we're saying is when you know that and when you, if you we have a, a word or you, that little inkling or that idea, maybe I should go pray for someone or share with someone or talk with someone. Is that going to move the kingdom forward? Is that going to introduce this person to the kingdom of God? If so, what, what possibly would be worth me not doing that? I might look a little bit foolish or I might feel a little bit afraid, but is, is that too great a, a price to pay to share this beautiful truth, this beautiful treasure with somebody else? This parable comes in a series of parables, and it, it follows after a, a couple parables after the mustard seed that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And if you recall, the, the kingdom of God is small. It starts humble and seemingly insignificant, but it continues to grow and grow until all of a sudden you realize it's, it really is of, of a value that's beyond compare. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a treasure that you can't even put a price tag on. It's, it's worth more than any other treasure you might have. Both of these parables, uh, in, in both the person involved, uh, goes and sells all they have to acquire the kingdom. And I just, it's probably worth commenting here, I think everybody knows this, but Jesus is not in any way indicating that you can buy the kingdom of God, that you can buy the grace of God, or the blessing of God. He's not saying that. Um, it's, we all know it's the free gift of God. It's given to anybody who receive it. What he is saying in that, though, is that um, it's costly. It's costly. There's going to be uh, a sacrifice to gain this kingdom. There's, you're going to have to give something up to gain this kingdom. It could cost you everything. Richard Stearns is the uh, president of World Vision. And... Uh, Prior to his position with World Vision, Richard Stearns was the uh, CEO of Lenox, China. And he lived, uh, I'm going to say Pennsylvania, I think, somewhere in the east, but he had a large estate, had a seven-figure income. Uh, life, was, life was grand, really. And, and Stearns would tell you this. Uh, in fact, he, in his book, The Hole in the Gospel, the whole, he 
gives his own testimony and actually describes himself as a nominal Christian. What he means is this. He was a good man. Wasn't greedy, wasn't a bad guy. Went to church every Sunday. Prayed, read the Bible. Basically kept his life orderly, didn't do a lot of bad things. But that was really it for him. He, he didn't give out of himself. He didn't do anything more than just basically keep his life in order, go to church on Sunday. And then uh, he ended up being in Africa for a business trip. And while he was there, he saw poverty in ways he'd never seen it before. He saw hunger and uh, disease and things that he thought, gosh, it seems like there should be a way to solve these problems. And the Spirit of God gripped his heart and he wrestled with it for a few months, not sure what to do, and finally ended up resigning his position at Lenox, selling his house, selling a lot of his belongings, downsizing, going to work for World Vision, and now he spends a lot of his time in third world countries looking at problems of health care and water and food and things like that. Why would a guy do that? That doesn't make any sense in the world that we live in. Well, the reason he did that is because he found a treasure that was worth more than anything else. When you see that pearl, when you get a hold of that in your heart, you can't not do that. It might cost you a little more than worldly possessions. Sometimes it can cost you relationships of friends and family. I, I have a friend named Marwan Bahu who was uh, born in the country of Jordan, was raised there in a very wealthy family, and then as a young person, early teen years, uh, immigrated to the United States, and through relationships and friends and things that happened in life, um, Marwin became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, uh, his, his family not only cut him off from any uh, financial resource or inheritance, but they basically cut him off from relationship. They essentially disowned him. You're no longer our son because you've chosen to take this path in your life. It's a costly thing. What they didn't do, I'll say this, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a little credit, what they didn't do is threaten his life. Uh, they cut him off, but that was the extent of their pushing him out. Uh, but oftentimes in Middle Eastern countries and in other places in the world, a person's life can actually come under threat when they make a decision to go after the kingdom of God. I, I, uh, I'm part of a a crisis management team from Vineyard Missions. It's a weird deal, but basically we're, we're prepared to help resolve crisis issues in third world countries. And I got an email this week update about two pastors of, of Vineyard Churches, one in Afghanistan and one in Azerbaijan, I think. I don't know how to say that name, but uh, both that have come under threats because of practicing their faith and running their churches in those communities. There, There is a sacrifice to obtaining the kingdom. When you see that pearl and you see that treasure, uh, the guys in the story sold everything they have. And there's a reality that you're probably not going to be able to acquire that tremendous treasure uh, without letting go of something in your life. So at, at this point now, um, you guys might be wondering a couple things. One is, what does any of that have to do with sharing our faith with our friends and our community? And the other thing you might be wondering is, why is my title, You Don't Know What You Don't Know? Well, uh, <laughs> you don't know. Uh, let's just consider everything up to now uh, introduction. So uh, I'll get to the point. 
the point is this. Um, these two parables come back to back. They are written in a with a literary device called Hebrew parallelism. Just means you uh, repeat something again for emphasis. Right? You get it. It's like, oh my God, oh my God. Right? You say it twice, and it's, people get it. So Jesus repeats it twice. But if you pay attention, there's a difference. There's one minor difference in the two parables. In, in one, in the second one, the parable of the pearl, the merchant was searching for something. He's looking for something diligently. I, when I picture this, I try to picture this in my mind. You know where I'm going, don't you? Uh, you know the guy on the radio, the, the diamond guy? Shane Company, I think, and he... I, 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 go, I go to our diamond mines in Dubai every week, and I search for the perfect diamond for your wedding ring. I think of that guy, and I think of somebody who's just... They're looking, 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 looking. They're searching. They're trying to find something. They know it's out there. And when they see it, they go, that's it. That's what I need. That's what I want. That guy is searching. But in the first parable of the field... The guy wasn't necessarily looking for anything. He just kind of stumbled upon it. And in this parable, when I picture that in my mind, I see a guy out on a walk. I don't know if he's on a prayer walk, walking his dog, whatever. Anybody ever walk through a field? You walk through a field, right? And you see something. What's that? And you kick it and you move the leaves off. And you go, oh, there's something there. What's that? Oh, it's a box. You open it up and you go, oh my gosh. There's an amazing... Anybody ever find a treasure in a field? Probably not. Um, I know. Uh, But this guy wasn't, the point is, he wasn't looking for anything. He just stumbled on it. So there really is a difference between the two. And here's my point for us today. That first group that's searching, I think sometimes we limit our own ability to minister to people by by only looking for those people that are really searching. And I think that's actually the smaller group because I think most people don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they're missing something. And, and so we have opportunities every day in the course of life to be able to open that door to the kingdom for people that really don't know that they're, that what's out there. They're not necessarily looking for anything. And I think that's a larger group of people. And, and I want you to know, I really believe that, that there's a, a tremendous ability for the kingdom of God to penetrate the hearts and lives of people that don't know that He's there at all, and, and, and he wants to touch them just by revealing himself. And, and the reason I say that is this, because that's my story. I've shared with you a little bit before some of my testimony, but I'm going to repeat it again today just because uh, as I read this parable this week, I saw myself. I saw myself as that guy walking through the field, and all of a sudden he found this treasure. I grew up in a... Uh, denominational church. and It was a great church. It, it was, I, you know, as a teenager going through high school, I, I learned the importance of, of reading the Bible and prayer and going to church on Sunday and keeping my life in order and basically doing some of those things that I think Richard Stearns also knew. So it was, it was a great foundation for me in one way. But I was never really exposed to that treasure, that pearl, that idea of the kingdom of God, that presence of God, that, that immediate reality of his rule and his reign in my life. None of those things. There was no mention of the Holy Spirit. There was no mention of, of any kind of that whole dynamic in my life. And so I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was just going through life thinking this is what there is. 
And uh, through what, I, what was a seemingly random series of circumstances, but I know now it was not a random series of circumstances, I was uh, informed. I, I used to say I was invited, but I actually wasn't invited. I was just told about this little meeting that was happening in this house in Yorba Linda, and I was told that by a friend of a friend, a guy that I didn't even really know. was a friend of my friend's brother, actually. And at that moment, this thought went off in my mind, which again, now I know is the Holy Spirit at the time, I just thought was weirdness, that I, I should go there. I mean, how, why, why do you think, nobody thinks like that. I don't know anybody, I've never been there before, but I think I'll go. And uh, so on Sunday night, I drove over to this little house. Uh, he had said that it was meeting in a house across the street from the Friends Church. I knew where the Friends Church was, so I drove over to the Friends Church, I looked across the street, there's a house, there's cars, that must be the place. And I walked in, and as I was shared with you before, Growing up in a Presbyterian church, things are very structured in your worship service, right? Everybody stands at the same time. It's not like here. You sit at the same time. You, the pastor reads something and you respond back. It's all very formal, very structured. I'm not saying that's bad. All I'm saying is that's what I was used to. So I come into this living room and dude walks out of the kitchen or the bedroom or somewhere with a guitar and a stool. Uh, I, I liked it right away because I had to, it was, this was, uh, well, it was 1976, I had long hair and a big beard, and this guy had long hair and a big beard too, so I thought, oh, you know, we have, we have communion, we have connection here. But the weirdest thing is he sits down on the stool and starts playing the guitar. Nobody prayed, nobody said, we're going to start now, nobody said anything. You know, I'm like, what the? But everybody starts singing. And he starts singing songs, and it was the middle of the Jesus People movement, and some of them were choruses that were popular and well-known, and I'd, I'd heard a few. Some of them were songs I'd never heard before. But as he's singing, this strange thing happens, and I begin to cry. And so now I'm sitting in a living room full of people that I don't know crying, which is not necessarily desirable for a 19-year-old kid with the nickname of Neanderthal. Thaw for short. Uh, thaw, just thaw. Uh, so the music goes on for what seems like forever. Probably wasn't. But I can't stop crying. And I am embarrassed, actually, because uh, I don't know these people and I look like a crazy person crying in their living room. Um, I was really happy. And I didn't know why I was crying, but I was happy when the music stopped finally because I was able to kind of compose myself. And then this other guy gets up and he says, now we're going to break up into groups and pray for one another. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but I didn't know how that worked. Where do we go? How do you get to these groups? And uh, so I just stayed there for a minute. And then after a couple minutes, a few people gathered around me and I said, oh, okay, I'm a group. Um, so this guy says, can we pray for you? And I said, sure. And he said, what would you like prayer for? Well, I hadn't really thought about that. And I mean, I had no idea. I, I, I said, I don't know. I don't know. So he just kind of smiled and said, we'll pray. So they prayed. And uh, as they prayed, uh, another weird thing happened. And this time I didn't cry. But this time... Uh, I am thankful to the Apostle Paul for his letter to the Philippians because he gives me language for something I don't understand. And he talks about a peace that transcends all understanding. 
At that moment, a peace that transcends all understanding came over me. And in that moment, all was right in my world. The shalom of God was in my heart in a way I'd never experienced it before. Now, to the best of my knowledge, nothing outside that room had changed. No circumstances were different. Nothing in, in my world had changed except in that moment, the peace of God that transcends all understanding was so powerful in my own life uh, that it was undeniable. And I remember very much driving home that night and thinking, I have no idea what just happened, but whatever that was, I got to have that. You see, I found a pearl that was worth more than anything. And, and that was, I was thinking about it this morning on my way in, and that was in October of 1976, 40 years ago right now. And I'm still going after that pearl because there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. See, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know that there was something more. I, I thought I was experiencing all God had. I thought this is just how we live this thing out. You know, and, and again, it wasn't bad, it was okay, but there was so much more. I, I, I didn't know about this treasure that was so valuable, that was so precious. I think we have a couple of fairly powerful tools as we think about runaway. We got a runner. <laughs> I think we have a couple powerful tools as we consider sharing our faith and sharing the kingdom and bringing that treasure to people around us. And the first one is this. It, it, it really is the beauty of the kingdom. It really is the beauty of the kingdom of God. I, I read a fantastic book a few weeks ago, ago called Beauty Will Save the World. And I, I just think if you've lost touch with that, you need to get back in touch with it again. And I would encourage you to do whatever you need to do, whether it's sit quietly and, and worship at home and meditate or pray or read, however, walk, whatever you do to get into that place where it's evident and real in your own heart to do that because the kingdom of God is so beautiful and we have to be able to see it to communicate it. We have to be walking in it to share it with others. And I just think it's so powerful. It's such a powerful tool. I, I, look, I get it. I, I get we can share, you, you know, so there's so many ways to talk about who Jesus is, but when we really get to that place of understanding how beautiful life in his kingdom really can be, I think it's a powerful tool in sharing with others. Second thing is this, and I just encourage you, our own story. God's done something in every one of your lives that's amazing. And, and, and I heard a guy, an old, old, old friend of mine last week, and he said something that really struck me. He said, um, when we forget our story, we lose our identity. And I just thought that's so true. You know, you can share scripture with people all day long, and you can talk to them about stuff, and the reality is all of that can be challenged intellectually, but your story is your story. And when you share that with people, and again, I mean, I shared my story today to just illustrate that there's, there's a, an effectiveness in it in touching people's hearts. And so I just encourage you to reconnect with your story. Don't forget your story and don't lose your identity. Walk in who you are and who Jesus has made you to be. And I tell you, it, it will become a joy and a pleasure to share that with others. So why don't we stand?